Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet since April of 2014. And when I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've lost about 100 pounds. I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. And reversing diabetes. Yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. We're not doctors. We don't want to give any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Not a chance. We've done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them, and we share studies that we found in the show notes. You'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Mm -hmm. We love to cook, and we love to eat. Yep. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that's pretty good, probably. (laughs) So. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's start podcast number 137. Gary Fetke is a free man. Could you save your due for a little? So, Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Let's see. Last week's show was uh, number 136, live from Keto Fest Down Under. Yep. Yeah, I, <laughs> I have yeah. one apology, and that's the audio quality. So this one's on me, actually. Um, We didn't use our normal setup and instead got an audio feed from the press club. And we thought that would be fine. It sounded good when we tested it. But when we listened to it back, it was completely distorted. Totally blown out. Totally blown out. And the uh, the only other thing that we had was a microphone in the back of the room. And so that's what we ended up using. And it was a little subpar for us. But we thought we wanted to put it up there anyway because it was really important uh, for for us to show that we can do a keto fest in another part of the world and uh, yeah. have it go off without a hitch. And Paul was great. Yeah, keto fest is a now an international conference because right. it's it's happening in more than one country. Uh, the other thing about uh, the audio quality is that Carl spends a lot of time on the quality of the audio for the show, so you probably don't notice that uh, that all of the work that's gone into that. So uh, I just want to call out the fact. I mean, you can actually see from that podcast this is what happens when you just turn the recording device on and you don't have somebody sort of uh, yeah. <laughs> controlling the audio like Carl normally does on on our on our podcast. So. Yeah. So uh, it, it's 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 probably an interesting uh, uh, example of uh, of what happens when you don't have the two keto dudes doing a podcast. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. So we're back to our normally good sounding podcast today. Well, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. Richard? Sure. It's one that puts you in a state of ketosis where you burn fat for energy rather than glucose. Yep. Uh, so there's an easy way to do that. Don't give your body any glucose. And <laughs> basically, if you keep to less than 20 grams of carbohydrates, uh, so just uh, you know, trace amounts in leafy greens, eggs have got a few carbs in them, uh, cream has a few carbs in them. But for the most part, uh, limit you, the carbs that you eat. Your body will make all the, all the glucose that you need. Mm. Um, and uh, basically, you get all of your energy from fat. You build your body with protein. Mm. Uh, so you don't want a lot of protein. We use between uh, one to one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass, um, yep. which is enough to for, for, 
almost everybody to, to have enough protein to build their own bodies. Yeah. Um, and we get energy from uh, fat, either fat on the plate or fat from that Krispy Kreme that you ate a decade ago <laughs> and you stored for a rainy day. Yeah. And if you're just starting the ketogenic diet, listen to our Starting Keto show at start.2keto.com. So, Richard, how was your week? Uh, I had a very simple to-do list this week. Um, okay. Number one was to go vegetarian. What? Number two was to blow up the kitchen. What? <laughs> uh, number three was question mark, question mark, question mark, and number four is profit. <laughs> okay. I want to yeah. hear this story. First of all, vegetarian? Yeah. So, I've, I've decided for the month of October, it will no longer be called October. It will no. be called Ovo-lactober. <laughs> and during <laughs> during the month of Ovo-lactober, I'm going to be Ovo-lacto-vegetarian. Actually, I, I'm going to also, it's, I'm really going to be Ovo-lacto-pesco-vegetarian because um, this is something that Steve Finney said when he came out to Australia. But when somebody asked him, can a vegetarian go ketogenic? He said, you know, if you, if you eat eggs and you eat some dairy and uh, you, you eat fish once a week, um, yeah, it's quite possible to do that. And there are a lot of people in the world who are vegetarian for religious reasons, mm. like the subcontinent of India, yeah. and diabetes rates in, in India are, are, are off the chart. So uh, these are people who really need to at least consider a ketogenic diet. And so mm. I was curious what it would be like to go vegetarian for a month. Um, the, but the only way I can do it is if in the month of November – uh, which I'm renaming Carnivember. Ah. I only meet. <laughs> I knew there was a catch. October is Ovo-Lactober, and November, from now on, this year, will be called Carnivember. <laughs> so there you go. Well, I think um, I'll go and- carnivore in November with you, but I don't think I can go vegetarian. Oh, I'm I'm doing I'm going the whole hog. I've I've got my tofu maker out, um, and I'm making tofu from from raw from from fresh beans, uh, soybeans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm 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 really enjoying it actually. Oh, good. And I'm I'm making more ketones than I normally make, so that's a good thing. You're making more ketones than you normally make. Yeah, Isn't that interesting. So go figure. So go anyway, figure. We, we shall see. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see what I'm like in a month. I'm- <laughs> I might be crawling crawling up the walls in a month, but we'll see. Well, you're getting your fat from where? Butter and uh, avocados and that kind of thing? Coconut cream, avocados, uh, olives, olive oil. Yeah, I've got hemp seed oil as well. Uh, you know, it's just uh, there's lots of sources of uh, fat. Also, because I'm able to eat eggs and because I'm able to eat some dairy, mm. um, I'm cook- I'm cooking in ghee. Mm. Um, uh, I'm adding uh, uh, coconut cream to to meals. Coconut cream is delicious. Yeah, it's it is. Yeah. It's well, you're probably but eating less protein than you would before when you're eating meat, right? No, I'm actually eating uh, quite a bit of protein because I get some protein in in uh, fatty dairy. So I'm eating some cheese. Hmm. So I'm getting some protein there. I'm getting a lot of protein from egg whites. Um, right. And of course, tofu. I'm eating things like edamame, which is a legume that's that's yep. quite high in. Uh, in um, in protein, so mm. yeah, uh, I'm getting sources of it. So yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the second item on your to do list. Blow up <laughs> the kitchen. What? I blew up the kitchen when we were at the press club doing Keto Fest down under. Yeah. Chef Darren Tetley suggested that we do a demo with uh, dry ice, where we we're going to make ice cream with dry ice. Right. Um, and unfortunately, it all sublimated. I mean, dry ice goes from being solid to being gas. It doesn't have a liquid phase in right. between. It evaporates. So. Um, it evaporated, yeah. So they they didn't have any. So and, and 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 Carl and I, when we heard this, both of us went, "Oh, we've got to make ice cream and dry ice. Got to do that one day." So so anyway, I I've got this new video system 
In fact, Carl and I both had the same video system and I was playing around with it. I thought, what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll put the video system on and I'll record myself making this dry ice ice mm-hmm. cream. Mm-hmm. And so what you have to do with the dry ice is you, you, have, you get it in pellet form. It's like the size of kibble. Yeah, and you, what you're going to do is you're going to put it in a blender, and you're going to blitz it so that it turns to snow size particles, and right. then then you in a, a mix master or a blender, you 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 put your on glaze that's been chilled uh, in the fridge. You put that in uh, stand and mixer. You, yeah, in a stand mixer. Yeah, mm. and you you just set it going, and then uh, you add the dry ice snow. So it's a very fine powder. Of Don't dry touch ice. it though, right? Don't touch it because it's minus 85 Celsius. It's yep. cold. It'll freeze your fingers <laughs> and, off. Uh, it'll freeze your fingers off. And and you you drop it in the, the ice cream and you beat it until it's uh, – it basically turns into ice cream almost instantaneously. And the, the texture is spectacular. It is really a nice – I don't think you can get an ice cream machine, a regular f- uh, freezing ice cream machine that, that will do a better job. Wow. So here's the thing. <laughs> when you blitz the dry ice – yeah. Don't use a magic bullet. And the reason why you don't want to use a magic bullet is because you're going to tighten that thing on. You basically screw the magic bullet on the the, the blade. You put it into the the st- and into the the mixing device, and it spins it up. But this is an enclosed container. Now the problem <laughs> the problem is you're making a lot of CO two gas oh. from that. Uh, and so what happens is now you've made yourself a bomb. And sure. When you Try and open it up, it's going to go off dramatically. Boom. And boom. It it literally goes boom. Oftentimes you don't hit you hear explosives and they don't make the boom sound. This explosive made the boom sound. So yeah, oh. that was how I, I blew up the kitchen. I, I, but, you know, just a little bit of snow in the kitchen, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I still have my hands and and you know, so yeah. Frozen frozen O ring, that's about all that's about the only problem. And you have a video so, anyway, of this? Yeah, I do. Should I put it online? It's Absolutely, you should put it online. <laughs> I, should, I should put a lot of caveats on it. Nobody do this. This is stupid. That's what I did this week. So, so wait a minute. Now, did you actually succeed in making ice cream with it? Yeah, spectacular. Really good texture. Wow. Ice cream. Yeah. I got to do I mean, it. What when the when you don't use an enclosed container to to, to mix anything? But yeah, well, when you get I, the same uh, problem yeah. if you put something that's steaming hot. In a, in a blender and cover it and yeah. then blend it. Yeah. It's just going to explode everywhere because, yeah. you know, you're, you're basically making the, steam. The, the gas, yeah. Well, the, ga- the, the gas, gas expands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But this is the, – but uh, CO2, when it warms from solid to gas, it makes a lot of gas. So, so I, I could really put it in explosive. a uh, food processor and keep the top open and then just dump yeah. the kibble in. That'd be fine. That'd yeah, be fine. Uh, what you can do if you if you want to have fun is uh, get an old uh, plastic uh, Coke bottle and <laughs> <laughs> put some dry ice and some water in that, and put the top on and uh, and you know you put it put it in your pool or somewhere f- far away from everybody, and it'll, right. it'll it'll blow up like a beach ball and explode. So once it melts and evaporates inside there, it's going to explode at some point. Yeah, yeah. Mm. don't leave, try this at home, people. Leave don't it out in the sun, like but stay away. <laughs> <laughs> so all the leftover dry ice I actually threw in my pool, and, of course, what that did is it, it basically made a, a fog effect. So, sure. Uh, so we had a fog in the backyard. We should have done that for keto, for the Keto Fest VIP party. We should have had the pool making fog. That would have been quite Oh, uh, had quite we cool. been thinking, yeah. Had we, yeah. We were focused on things like food. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was my week. How was your week, Carl? Well, my week has been pretty good. I'm starting a new project. It's a video project mm-hmm. called The Keto Fixer. And uh, I coach nice. three metabolic warriors. That's what I call them because they're not patients because mm-hmm. I'm not a doctor. And calling mm-hmm. them subjects would it just seems too clinical. So metabolic warriors is, is who they are. I'm, I'm coaching them through their keto experiences and I'm following their progress over several weeks. Nice. So I give them the science resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shop, we cook. All of them have support from their doctors. They all get the okay from their doctors. They all get blood tests. And Dr. Ken Berry has agreed to review their blood work with them, which is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, each of them also, in this case, has a unique challenge. Mm. The first warrior is a woman with diabetes who has no gallbladder and can't tolerate fat very well. Sure. That's common, actually. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Mm, The second one is a man who does not have diabetes but needs to lose weight and keep it off so he can have a successful hernia surgery. Okay. He had a a ruptured colon several years ago and was in sepsis and the whole thing and and then uh, suffered a hernia. And and he's tried to have that surgery five times and each time Mm. it failed. And uh, they basically told him point blank it's because of the extra weight you're carrying around. So. And the third warrior uh, did go keto and was very successful at it and lost a bunch of weight and brought his diabetes down uh, into the normal range. It was something like 13, and he brought it to 6 or something. I can't nice. remember exactly. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. he, uh, stopped, he plateaued, and he got frustrated and stopped. And this is what a lot of people do. So I'm, I'm coaching him back into it. Also, he, this, the third guy, Ron, he couldn't resist beer. Oh, right. Yeah. And his wife told me that he was like, you know, I'm just going to die because I love my beer. And his thing is IPA. He really likes the India Pale Ale. Yeah. So my recipe in this show is going to be how to make a zero-carb IPA that anyone can make at home. Nice. So, yeah, I'm currently shooting a pilot or at least a teaser. And uh, I'll be setting up a Patreon page for it and hoping that some of you will help fund it. Because this is effectively my full-time job for the next six months. And I really nice. would like to, you know, shop this to some big network that can yeah. uh, that can then support it on a on an ongoing basis. Well, what a great idea for a f- for a food network. Oxygen, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a it's a better story than you know my six hundred pound weight loss. They're all horrible stories. It sure really. is. Yeah. And, I mean, the ketogenic diet. I I think you know if you've gone through the ketogenic diet. And you come out the other side without diabetes, having lost a lot of weight and gotten control over your appetite. Yeah. Um, this is something for most of us who go through this process. We come out the other end supercharged. We want to tell everybody about it. Right. And this is a great way to do that um, because, you know, th- th- there's nothing like seeing somebody go through the entire process from the right from the very beginning um, and, and, and see them go through that. That it would be wonderful. So, yeah, yeah and of good course luck with that. Thank you. And of course, it's been done before with other diets, but the difference is this one works, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it's fun. And, you know, when when we talk about all the foods that people can eat, I mean, you know what it's like. They're just like, oh, yeah. I, I can win anybody over to keto just by inviting them to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've never met anybody for whom a ketogenic diet didn't help them get control over their uh, their uh, their appetite and their diabetes, yeah. except for people who just 
you know, they 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 couldn't they couldn't not drink beer. You know, they, right. I miss bread or I miss pasta. I'm right. Italian. I need my pasta. Or you know, I, I I'm so I'm 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 exposed to temptation all the time because right. I work in a bakery or I work in a cupcake store or whatever it is. But you yeah, know, yeah. these I think being able to see somebody go through the process and uh, be tempted with these things and hopefully um, you know resist them would, would be would be a wonderful thing. So and the way I, to resist I, them is by Making your own new temptations, right? And that's yeah, it. You, yeah. you substitute your temptations for ones that are ketogenic. And uh, Oh, I'm looking forward to the IPA beer recipe then. Yeah, very good. All right, man, let's give away some swag. Sure. Every week we pick a lucky winner at random from the members of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. And today we're giving away a treasure trove of stuff from vendors we like, all of which you can find at fanclub.2keto.com. We also need to mention a caveat. Most of our vendors can only ship inside the USA. That's right. But if we happen to pick someone outside the US, we will find something to send you, but it probably won't be the entire treasure trove. That is, until we can find an affordable means of distribution. Mm. So who's our winner this week, Carl? Today's winner is Big John Burnett. Congratulations, Big John. Yeah, Big John. Big John. Big John. <laughs> Let's tell everybody what Big John has won. <laughs> right. Well, the first thing we're giving away is a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug that says, Keep Calm and Keto On. And a signed copy of Lies My Doctor Told Me by Dr. Ken Berry, online at lies.2keto.com. And a bottle of Stevia Sweet Barbecue Sauce, developed by a barbecue restaurant owner who plans to change the restaurant industry forever. Only two carbs per serving, online at steviasweetbbq.com. And a cheese-making kit from Wine & Way. Pam Zorn gave everybody at Keto Fest a kit so that they can make their own fresh mozzarella. Oh, yeah. Online at wineandway.com. That's W-I-N-E-A-N-D-W-H-E-Y.com. And a six-ounce cup of beef bone broth concentrate from Birthright Nutrition. Just add water, heat, stir, sip, and enjoy. Jam-packed with good stuff. More at birthrightnutrition.com. We're also giving away a bottle of Remag Magnesium Solution, developed by Dr. Carolyn Dean, along with a copy of her protocol, and the Keto and Magnesium Manifesto, online at magmiracle.com. We're also giving away a big bottle of Fasting Drops from Keto Chow. It's a well-formulated blend of electrolytes, and you just drop a little in your water, fasting will become a breeze. Online at fastingdrops.2keto.com. And two bottles of Sated, one chocolate, one vanilla, online at sated.2keto.com. And from Keto & Co., a sampler six-pack, a bag of brownie mix, four bags of different flavored cauliflower rices, and a bag of flatbread mix. Online at ketoand.co. Mmm, I love their flatbread. Yeah. And if you don't want to wait to win some swag, you can buy all sorts of it online at gear.2keto.com. Yes, you can. And that brings us squarely to this section of our show that we call... I think somebody just stood on the tail of your mail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tommy uh, kangaroo down, sport. Sport, yeah. <laughs> so, Carl, what have you got? Well, uh, this one is from the Ketogenic Forums, and uh, it was put by Anonymous54 in December mm -hmm. of 2016. So, this is an oldie, but it's such a good one, I want to revisit it. And the mm. subject is kids on keto, question mark. I'd like to convert my kids, well, children, I don't have any goats, to keto. <laughs> <laughs> but they are hardcore carb addicts. And being seven and nine, have no appreciation for the long-term effects, 
even though I have tried to explain without totally freaking them out. Has anyone had success converting their kids? If so, how'd you do it? And I'm not going to read all of the responses, but generally people say we don't, you know, require our kids to go keto. We just make delicious keto food and we have some Mm -hmm. carbohydrate options. But uh, I know that Karen Mangiacotti and Mark Miller basically say that dinner is going to be ketogenic. You can take your peanut butter sandwiches to school, whatever you want for Mm -hmm. breakfast. But when we eat dinner, there's going to be no sugar, no starch. And since they do the shopping, right, uh, then there you go. uh, Somebody mentioned, though, the problem is it's been the rule in their house that they eat what's put in front of them. But this last year, it has backfired. Uh, Lori says, my girls are 13 and 16 and will just go in the kitchen and cook for themselves. I wish I knew a better way around this. I'm still trying to get all the non-keto food out of the house, but it's been a slow go. And I'd say, yeah, with teenagers, they either have to be in or they're out. I mean, a teenager is perfectly capable of making Pop-Tarts and shopping for them and uh, all of that stuff. So it's really important that you get your kids used to eating more fat and less sugar and carbs at the dinner table at an early age. Yeah. So the reason that I brought this up is because we haven't really officially announced, but we did at the end of the show a couple of times, our our new Two Keto podcast, which is Keto Families and Keto Kids. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we've been slow going to get this one going, but Mark and Karen uh, have their show. I think they've got seven episodes done now. You can go to KetoFamiliesPodcast.com and uh, you'll get all the information there. You can also just with your favorite podcast player on your phone Mm -hmm. or whatever search for keto families and keto kids so the keto Mm -hmm. kids podcast you can set up your children to uh on their phones to to get that one free and that is the end of the the last 15 minutes or so of every keto families podcast is the keto kids podcast just for kids yeah so if you're a parent you can listen to what your kids are going to be getting on their own version of the podcast and be prepared for any questions they've got so anyway, I would encourage you to read that entire thread, Kids on Keto. It's it's pretty good. And if you're a parent struggling with how to you know get kids off of sugar and starch, the the forum and the, these podcasts from Mark and Karen are really good resources for you. Yeah. Well, that's my mail. What do you got, buddy? My mail is uh, from the Dietitian's Ass of Australia. You can't call them the ass of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's short for association. You know, the, we, you know oh, how we okay. abbreviate everything down here. The Dietitians Association of Australia. Okay, now I get it. So anyway, uh, they released a hot topic in August on the ketogenic diet. They do these hot topics. It's like a press release. Okay. And this, uh, this hot topic, we'll, we'll link it in the show notes, but basically they say, a ketogenic eating pattern is very low in carbohydrates, moderate in protein, meaning a high percentage of total energy kilojoule intake comes from fat. <gasps> as fat is the main source of energy being consumed, the body must then use this, that is, break it down, as its main source of energy or fuel, when dietary fat is metabolized for energy, byproducts called ketone bodies. Molecules that are made by the liver from fatty acids are produced, which are then used by the body's tissues, muscles, and the brain. The process is known as ketosis. Wow. And you know... That's okay. all true. That I is have true. no problem with that. Yep. They, they go on to say the body can enter ketosis during severe times of energy restriction, such oh. as during fasting or starvation. Oh. Bum, bum, bum. 
or prolonged intense exercise or when carbohydrate intake is reduced to around 50 grams per day or less, the equivalent of around two slices of bread and a banana. <laughs> oh my you know it's obvious what they're doing here they're associating ketosis with starvation you know yeah. what is also associated with ketosis mental clarity reversal of diabetes and really awesome food like right. all the bacon and eggs you can eat right <laughs> you know and uh, by the way hands up anybody who ate two slices of bread and a banana today on their ketogenic diet <laughs> <laughs> They go on to say, short-term side effects of ketosis could include fatigue, bad breath, nausea, constipation, and headache. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, more, it's more scare tactics. You know what a diet high in grains causes? Dental caries, which also causes bad breath. Yeah. Reactive hypoglycemia, which is what hangry is. Yeah. You know, your, your blood sugar going low because you're on the glucose roller coaster. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, they, 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 they now go on to evidence supporting the ketogenic diet so this is going to be interesting yeah sure um so they say that research supports a role for the ketogenic diet as medical intervention for some cases of epilepsy that is when seizures are intractable particularly in children and you hmm. know i've got to say that's that's actually true the ketogenic yep. diet was a, a method invented in the 20s by the mayo clinic to treat refractory epilepsy yeah and it's been used ever since that's right um, so but they go on to say there's growing interest in the effect of a ketogenic diet in patients with cancer, particularly brain cancer. Yeah. Tumor cells have an increased reliance on glucose, and many cannot use ketones effectively. So the hypothesis is that disrupting cellular metabolism may improve current treatments. Yeah. Wow, great. We did an episode with Professor Thomas Seyfried on precisely that topic. So That's if right. you're interested in a ketogenic diet for cancer, I'd recommend listening to that. Or the, I think episode seven that we did with Mark Miller uh, was also on cancer. Yeah. Um, you know, I just got to say, it's nice to see that the Dietitians Association of Australia agree that a ketogenic diet can potentially be a treatment for cancer. Yeah. And I expect that they will no doubt retract all of their comments criticizing Pete Evans for saying there is evidence that a ketogenic diet treats cancer. It's precisely the same evidence that they just referred to. Good, good on them. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they go on to say, so although many books and websites propose a ketogenic diet for a variety of health benefits, the evidence for these in healthy individuals is currently limited to therapeutic uses in specific conditions. In reality, the diet is backed by very little evidence in healthy individuals. Oh, okay. That's not true. <laughs> That's actually not true. No, the Dietitians Association of Australia are just not up to date on the literature. Right. Virtue in the USA has published three papers on the ketogenic diet being a successful treatment for type 2 diabetes. Yes. Uh, resulting in tight glycemic control, reversing uh, type 2 diabetics to non-diabetic levels. Um, it's basically, it's got people off insulin. 94% of subjects were off insulin, 100% were off sulfonylureas, which are another class of uh, anti-glycemic drugs. Mm. And they've also documented reductions in cardiovascular disease risk biomarkers. So yeah. the evidence is out there that they choose not to read it is just their problem. It's, anyway, It's really, really not right. Really, what they're looking for is weight loss. I think that's what everybody is thinking about when it comes sure. to the ketogenic diet. And they, they go on to say that following a ketogenic diet will undoubtedly result in short-term weight loss, which probably comes down to a reduction of total energy kilojoule intake, the depletion of liver and muscle glycogen stores and associated water, hmm. and a reduced appetite, which is a side effect of metabolizing ketones and also due to satiety associated with eating foods containing fat and protein. Excuse me, uh, you did not have 100 pounds of water weight. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, water weight's lost in the first two days. 
Yeah. Anybody who goes on a weight loss diet that stops losing weight after two days is unlikely to hang around. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, the reason that people uh, like a ketogenic diet and the reason it's so popular is because it actually works. Yeah. Uh, you know, People who were previously unable to turn fat into energy because their insulin was preventing them from using that energy on their bodies, well, all of a sudden they can use that energy that they have. That is why they're not going hungry. It's right. not some magical satiety effect of ketones on ghrelin, although there may be some science to that. And it's, it's not about protein and fat being magically satiating macronutrients. The biggest reason that people eat less when they go on a ketogenic diet is because all of a sudden they have energy, so they don't need to eat any. That's right. The energy is coming from body fat. Exactly. You know, the, the take-home message uh, that they tell us is that though it may offer some metabolic benefits when followed in the short term, a few months, and it poses a novel treatment for certain conditions, a ketogenic diet isn't recommended for the general population as the long-term efficacy and safety of the diet are unknown, having only been studied in the short term. Oh, that again, that's not true. <laughs> no, look, there's been many two-year studies, and, and two years is what qualifies as long-term uh, for dietary studies. Yeah. Uh, many two-year studies that have shown the safety and efficacy of a ketogenic diet. You know what isn't recommended for the general population? The diet they've been eating for, for the past 40 years that's made more than half of the people in the Western world insulin-resistant. Yes. Preach on, brother. The low-fat, high-grain, high-sugar diet that the Dietitians Association of Australia has been pushing for 40 years with no long-term or short-term evidence at the time in its favour. And that is a diet that Nina Teicholz has shown us that we've been eating and it made us sick. Absolutely. Yes. That is not recommended. <laughs> no, that's right. Well, I'm linking to their hot topic uh, in the show notes. So that's my mail and a little rant. <laughs> that's a great mail, my friend. Yeah, speaking of the Dietitians Association of Australia, we've got one of their fans, <laughs> Gary Fetke, <laughs> yeah, coming up right. in the interview. Well, we need to sort of preface our conversation with him by going back in time a little bit and talking about mm. how we first learned about Gary Fetke and what happened to him and uh, the, the shows that we've done with him and what he's discovered over the years. Yeah, the first one was in Breckenridge. Uh, Gary and Belinda came to dinner and uh, at the at the Dude House, and yep. uh, then we sat down and we did a two-part uh, video recording, mm -hmm. um, which we turned into a podcast. Yeah. And this was when he had just been sanctioned. And so this was the first opportunity for him to basically not follow his gag order right. and tell him to get stuffed. <laughs> so, I remember asking him, are you breaking the law right now by talking about this? And he goes, yeah, probably. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next one that we did was, um, this was, I think we were both in America at the time. Yeah. And Gary was across the country in Wisconsin, and he'd just done a presentation to the uh, CrossFit group with uh, Tim Noakes. Yeah. And he'd just lowered the boom on the Seventh-day Adventist being behind all of the dietary standards, the dietary guidelines. That's right. And that was uh, that was news at the time. So, Gary, every time he comes on, he uh, he is very interesting. Yes, he is. And, and now, apparently, um, all the charges have been dropped against him, and they've even apologized. So let's let him tell the story. Gary Fetke, as I live and breathe. How are you, sir? Uh, good evening and good morning, uh, Carl and Richard. I'm, uh, I'm well. You must be over the moon lately. I think, first of all, we're, we're relieved, uh, Belinda and myself, um, and uh, we're, we're now moving into the on, you know, over the moon phase. Um, <laughs> I think there's really interesting times which are going on right now, and particularly what's transpired in uh, 
Uh, it seems an inter- a long time, but it's actually only a week, a uh, week tomorrow. Right. So just to catch people up here, APRA, which is the governing body in Australia for, for healthcare, the Australian Health Practice- Practitioners Regulation Agency, have dropped all these charges against you after, what, four years or so of- uh, Four and a half years. Of persecution. They've not only dropped the charges, uh, they've thrown them all out. Uh, they've actually sent me a formal apology, which is almost unheard of in Australian health um, wow. regulatory uh, practice. Uh, in fact, I'm not aware of anyone else, but nonetheless, we've got that in writing. Hmm. Uh, we're hoping for a, a very public statement from them to uh, retract a previous statement they did in 2016 about me. So, Gary, when last we spoke, you, you had just spoken at the CrossFit event in Wisconsin, and at that stage, APRA... Uh, was preventing you from recommending a low-carb diet to any of your patients. And I think you were prevented, you were gagged from social media comment. Is that true? Well, for over two years, I've actually not been uh, uh, allowed, according to the ruling, to be giving that advice to my patients, nor to, in fact, be um, speaking publicly about that. So I've tried to um, clarify what on earth the APRA ruling meant and the more I asked them, the more they actually couldn't work out what on earth they'd determined. Mm-hmm. So I've actually been um, uh, speaking out uh, against that ruling and just going about what I had to do, which was spreading that message about low-carb, healthy fat, and particularly in the management of diabetes. Yeah. As I've said to you guys before, once you see the results of this, particularly in diabetes, and you can actually, you just see patients turn around their lives you know, within days, let alone mm. weeks. You can't unsee the results. So, I mean, I, I clearly disrespected the ruling um, <laughs> and uh, challenged them to say, well, what are you going to do about it? Because you actually don't even understand what the ruling meant. Right. If they don't have a clear ruling, how can they enforce it? Oh, no, they had, they had a very clear ruling. They, the ruling said that I was not allowed to advise my patients about nutrition, mm-hmm. even if the, the low-carb management pathways was shown to be best practice incredible up-to-date quality advice even and even if it became the recommended mantra which it should do particularly in diabetes then i had a ruling stating that i was not to give that advice if it sounds ridiculous you know that's it's taken four and a half years to overturn that and you didn't even know at the time who'd made the complaint against you, did you? Uh, we worked out very quickly that it was a dietitian, uh, and it was a dietitian at my hospital. Uh, retrospect, I think she was just a pawn in the whole process. Uh, I think there are larger interests at play, uh, which over the last several years we've been uncovering, not only within the Tasmanian Health Service, but uh, as it turns out, the Dietitians Association of Australia. And then, you know, the, the latest thing is to actually find out that I was uh, named uh, uh, for targeting by the breakfast cereal uh, industry. Whoa. This is a uh, – now Now this is getting interesting. I had no idea about that. Well, this, this, is, this sort of explains why on earth I got into, you know, theoretically so, you know, so much trouble because – I honestly uh, took the original complaint with a, you know, as, a, as a bit of a joke. I mean, not that you're, not that you're supposed to, but all I was advising under the umbrella of quality assurance is that we needed to reduce the amount of sugar we we're giving patients in hospital, and particularly to get rid of junk food and sugar-sweetened beverages. 
Ford, which has been adopted in some form or another in every state of Australia now, bar Tasmania, so we're still languishing. Um, it may or may not surprise you, I mean, it surprised me and it still does, that if you've got diabetes and you're an inpatient in a hospital, there's still a recommendation for you to have two to three desserts per day. Yes. That's crazy. So I've got patients in hospital with out-of-control diabetes. Their blood glucoses are all over the place. They've got infected feet or, or some infection somewhere. And I'm trying to control their blood glucose. And mm. then they come along and they're actually recommended to have two to three bowls of ice cream per day. Now, on top of you know, carb biscuits, pasta, rice. It, and when you see this and you just watch their blood glucoses go out of control, you, you have to do something. So that you know, that's where my stand started. Yeah, and um, never, never realizing that I was you know going to upset uh, the food industry with my early lobbying. Well, thank God that cooler heads prevailed. I mean, anybody can see that sugar is the definition of diabetes, right? Blood sugar, and when you're well, dumping blood glucose, but, blood glucose. But, but when you're dumping glucose into your body, that uh, that that is the definition of the problem. It, it, it's it's so obvious to us all now, Carl. But the, the the problem is, if we go back seven or eight years when I started talking about it, when I started talking about the issues of sugar and the perils of it, people started looking at me and said, "What the hell is he on about?" You know, most people have an understanding of it now, but I can tell you, back 2011 when I started talking, it was just seen as a completely foreign topic, and yet it's actually. The issues of diabetes and, and high glucose, and particularly eating too much carbon glucose, has been known for decades. You know, this is the original treatment before insulin. Right. Somehow or other, 20 or 30 years ago, we, we lost the plot on that. And the pharmaceutical industry got on board and started saying, look, um, you know, you don't want to worry about lifestyle. Just eat what you want and we'll just give you medication to cover it. Yeah. And that, that was a critical turning point in diabetes management for the world when the drug industry, the pharmaceutical industry, started getting more and more involved in our pharmaceutical education and particularly in the governing bodies. And you've only got to look around the world at um, the sponsorship of diabetes associations, heart foundations. Mm. It's, it's completely riddled uh, with pharmaceutical industry and uh, and the same thing goes with dietary guidelines. We can come back to that um, with, with developments that have occurred you know, literally today. Well, I want to get back to this idea that you were on some sort of list. Like, to, that, that is a sort of a conspiracy, isn't it? I mean, that's, um, that's a crime, isn't it? We, we actually think that the uncovering of this list is a turning point for a change of the dietary guidelines of not only Australia but potentially the world. Wow. Uh, I, I know that's a big statement, but um, Belinda's been, I mean, many of us have been talking about the science, um, uh, particularly, you know, Tim Noakes and myself uh, in, in, in recent times and, you know, having that under investigation by our medical boards respectively in South Africa and Australia. Yet the... Belinda's been going, look, you guys are going blue in the face. You know, there's got to be something more. So she's been working on the vested interests. Uh, and that was, the, you know, we talked about that at, following on from my CrossFit conference last year where we looked at the corporate interests, the, uh, the food industry, but particularly the religious ideology. Uh, um, right. And, 
you know, to fly, you know, just to quickly cover that point, about four weeks ago, uh, in a journal called Religion, the Seventh Day Adventist Church, about a twenty-page document, owned up and actually agreed with everything that we uh, that was in that talk in the U.S. to the <laughs> point that uh, they actually used the material that I presented in their references. Wow! So the history stuff about the Seventh Day Adventists and Kellogg and the grain industry and the, that they promoted healthy grains as a sort of an ideology. And, you know, the whole soy industry, fake meat, fake dairy, you know, where we are with our dietary guidelines now, which are cereal-based, uh, you know, anti-meat, uh, anti-dairy, mm. and becoming vegan and vegetarian, are all based on religious ideology. And that's that's where Belinda and my work's been for the last few years. We presented that last year, and then literally within 12 months, the Adventist Church have published literature, really currently, admitting that everything we're talking about was 100% correct just fascinating is it online can we go look at it yeah look um it, it's uh, there's references to that on on our website the the one i support gary.com which has really been about this journey of supporting me to overturn the uh, okay. the APRA investigations but but particularly actually where all the ideology and the vested interests are so there's a lot of reference material there um and uh uh, there's obviously some, you know, talks and lectures that we've done accordingly. Okay. Yeah, you know, disturbingly so, but religious ideology uh, has shaped our dietary guidelines for over a hundred years, and then the food industry, particularly the corporates, the big corporates, have sort of moved in sideways or or directly to support that concept because processed food fits this agenda of cereal-based, anti-meat, anti-dairy and, uh, you know, and getting rid of the perishables. Mm. You know, that's sort of by way of what's been unfolding, you know, for the last few years, you know, in our lives. And, you know, all the way along, we've been bringing this to the attention of the Australian Medical Board, but it's been denied. Uh, the fact that uh, this was a stitch-up job, we, we sort of knew that. I, I, I certainly was aware of that. But in... Literally just the last couple of months, and this has been a, a massive turning point for the whole argument, uh, is that um, Belinda and a crew um, were able to come across uh, internal documents from the Australian Breakfast Cereal Manufacturing Forum, hmm. uh, which is a significant arm of the Food and Grocery Council here in Australia, which is in fact Big Food and Big Pharma, all joined together under the one interest group. Yeah. Now, the, the CEOs, now we're not talking about underlings, but the CEOs of companies such as uh, uh, Kellogg's, Sanitarium, um, Nestle, uh, Freedom Foods, and the Food and Grocery Council meet and have lunch every uh, few months. Mm -hmm. And we were able to obtain the, uh, the minutes of those meetings and included in that were uh, you know, certain very specific documents. I've subsequently submitted those to... Um, Several areas, including a current Senate inquiry, which is um, uh, awaiting responses from all the people that were named in there. Um, but we've also presented them to uh, the medical board, uh, national ombudsman, and you know will likely be discussed in Parliament uh, as we progress. Wow! But in those documents, um, it was identified that the breakfast cereal manufacturing group uh, were recognising that their sales have been down for the last few years. Yeah, and they they were calling out in, Oct in an October 2014 document, the timing of that's quite critical, mm. that the concepts of low-carbon paleo were to blame. 
uh, or were, were playing a significant role. Um, and then that several people, and there were nine people, nine Australians named on that document that were identified for uh, targeting or, or what they actually used their word, active defence. Mm, wow. It's an enemies list. Active defence sounds kind of like a, a, not defence at all, but offence. Yeah, and that, that term active defence appears in their minutes uh, on a regular basis over some years. Wow. But to actually find yourself as the only doc, only Australian doctor, health professional identified on, on documents within the food industry at the highest level, um, uh, it sort of was a disturbing moment. No doubt. Those documents also then outlined the media representatives in Australia that were to be um, worked with. Mm-hmm. I'll use that term. Um, several of which uh, we have them um, having a go at myself and others on that list, you know, in, in the traditional um, print, magazine, uh, radio and uh, internet media. I think I can probably so, guess at a few of them. <laughs> no, no we, won't, we won't mention all their names now, no, but those names have all been submitted, submitted to Parliament. Mm. Huh. Now, the Dietitians Association of Australia... The person who set up the ABCMF, the uh, Breakfast Cereal Manufacturing Forum, uh, she was actually on the board of the Dietitians Association at the same time as setting it up. The Dietitians Association were then uh, engaged uh, by, they're the only organisation engaged by this uh, food industry to pretty well spin doctor the message of cereal and sugar. And there's even an acknowledgement in that document, in documents, about the very good job that the Dietitians Association did in you know, effectively softening the message of sugar and cereal. <laughs> wow. Incredibly damning, particularly when what we know about sugar, and this is, in, this is in the recent time frame, this is all within the last few years. So recently we've had a banking royal commission, which, yeah. you know, uh, it's shown to be you know, huge problems within the corporate banking sector. But that's just about our money. This is actually about our health. Right. So we've got clear documentation now that shows that the food industry are trying to maintain their market share. They are literally, uh, and, and they've engaged the Dietitians Association of Australia to promote and support the concepts of cereals and the whole message of cereals for brekkie, which is a ABCMF yeah. logo mm-hmm. is um, is to be promoted by dietitians uh, in Australia. It's got all their marketing in there. It's got their um, their market penetration, how much they're actually planning to spend per dietitian, and then the Dietitians Association of Australia, you know, at their most senior level, we're talking board level, have mm. then um, complicitly gone about the business of promoting the, the processed food industry. Now that would be fine if it was openly declared, but here it is. They're actually they're involved in targeting specific individuals in Australia, and then in my case, it comes down to the specifics of I'm under investigation by APRA. I've I've been notified now uh, on three occasions by uh, members of the Dietitians Association. Two definite. The third one we're pretty certain about. Hmm. Uh, Two that are definite members of the Dietitians Association. The CEO of the DAA um, writes to my hospital on two occasions, uh, uh, 
people were demanding that I be silenced. Wow. We've then, again, this is all in the time frame of these meetings occurring at the serial uh, forum. Yeah. Oh, right. APRA, the, you know, the medical board, employ one expert witness to, you know, decide whether or not sugar and what I'm promoting is an issue. And he fails to you know, declare that he's actually at the same time working for sanitarium here in Australia. <laughs> Great. Right. Yeah. I've got the cereal industry after me. I've got the cereal industry, I think, effectively manipulating the APRA process here in Australia and then actually manipulating my case um, by this expert witness that appeared out of nowhere. APRA don't even know where he came from. Simply just appeared and started giving evidence against me. It's very convenient. <laughs> All this begs the question, Gary, um, what changed at APRA for them to say, oops, we made a mistake with Gary, let's apologize and drop all the charges. What, what, because it sounds like they have all this pressure on them. Uh, did the pressure change or what changed? Well, no, no, actually, this is where we've got to thank the, the community, the wider community. Um, you know, I was challenging this, you know, four and a half years ago. Well, it's longer than that now, but uh, saying this is, you know, this is, you know, this is made up. This is nothing's actually happened. There's no patient harm. There's no patient complaint. Uh, this is a stitch-up job by the food industry. You know, I've obviously upset them. Mm. Not at that point in time having the evidence, and and now this very specific documents within the food industry. But quite obviously, in retrospect, you know, they were taking this seriously. You know, and they were they were dropping you know bombshells left, right, and centre. So I've been appealing that decision here in Tasmania. I've been appealing it to the national board. It was all completely denied. I said, look, there's material here that's been made up, and they said, no, we're going to stick by our decision. My case has been before the National Ombudsman for two years, and to give her credit, she's actually found that there were problems in the process of it. It's gone off finally for independent review, and within uh, four to six weeks of them independently reviewing it, they've thrown the whole lot out. So it's taken a long, determined effort and I've got to thank the listen, your listeners, the entire low-carb community around the world for assisting us to put pressure on the topic. Mm -hmm. uh, this has been – we've utilised social media and the support of everyone yeah. to actually help put that pressure on the medical board. Uh, there were two Senate inquiries into my case because of uh, the concepts of how flawed the, the medical process here is in Australia. And as a result of – all of that over time, the National Ombudsman felt you know, obliged to look at it, obviously, seriously, and said, we've gotten it wrong, and they've apologised. And that really, you know, for the whole medical community, not just here in Australia, but we think beyond, that means that if you're a doctor and you wish to prescribe the safe option of reducing sugar and carbs, you are not going to get any retribution. And I've been contacted by hundreds of doctors already just in so the last great. few days saying, thank you, the doors are open. We can now prescribe this with safety and without concern for our careers. And yeah, to, be, you know, to be fair, that doctors don't want to upset you know, the regulatory bodies because here we've got dietitians, diabetes educators, Diabetes associations continue to say you've got to have your carbs and then chase it with medication. Right. And deregistering dietitians who go against that. So Jennifer Elliott, for example. You know, let's raise up Jen Elliott. So she's the last one that hasn't gotten off, you know. 
mm. and uh, let's get her out of jail. Yeah, so, absolutely. So the the thing is that with Tim Noakes, um, I I thought you know okay that's enough, and then you know in your apology and the, they dropped the case against you, and now I'm thinking okay that's enough. Yet doctors still are afraid of losing. Well, certainly here in the states, still afraid of losing their license. And you, all you really have to do is say, yeah, okay, what about Dr. Gerber? What about, you know, Jeff Gerber? What about uh, Eric Westman? What about all these doctors that are, you know, low carb and promoting that as a first line of defense against diabetes or a first therapy for their diabetic patients? They haven't lost their license. In fact, they've had nothing but success. I've spoken to... Um those guys, um, you know, very specifically, um, Jeff Gerber, Eric Westman, Jason Fung, yep. uh, and um, uh, Mike Eads. Mm. The US, and, and well, maybe not so much Canada, but very much the US is, you know, we might, they might have, you might have a flawed medical system over there, but they are far more open-minded about low-carb um, and creating the options. Mm. The, the problem here in Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, and to a slightly lesser degree, the UK, is that the, the regulatory authorities are, uh, are coming down very hard if you don't follow the guidelines. Guidelines have become rule books. Right. And so there's this real fear and trepidation. And the food industry, and whether or not whoever's been behind it, has been very successful in keeping the message and the fear out there based around what's happened to myself. Right. So literally, you know, as I've said to doctors along the way, you're not going to get into trouble because I just don't think the medical board want to go there. But this apology is an enormous turnaround to allow doctors to now stand up and, you know, stick their heads above the parapet again, you know, with, yeah. with the others that have started it. Really, the, ne the next step now is the food industry. I mean, it was rather stupid for these CEOs to have minuted an enemies list. I mean, that, that boggles the mind. Yeah. Well, you, you know, if anyone's ever been in a meeting, you know, you only minute the benign stuff in a meeting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <You're> never... <laughs> the, the stuff you don't want to get sued for later on. <laughs> so if, if they've got a list like that, imagine what they're actually talking about over there. Right. Um, High-carb lunch. Yeah. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, those documents are now in the public arena uh, and uh, it's time to call it about. I, yeah. I actually think this is potentially a, a silver bullet. I'm going to – I'll make another bold statement because I've made enough over the years. I can't get into <laughs> any more trouble. If we – these documents um, and, the, the, and the Medical Board of Australia has pretty well pointed the fact that my case has been manipulated by the Dietitians Association and the Tasmanian Health Service, but particularly the DAA. Yep. That combination has shown that the food industry has been meddling for a long time. It shows that they are involved in targeting. They've mm. been utilising uh, pretty well a union, the Dietitians Association, which is not under any regulatory authority bar itself. They've muppetised them. And <laughs> they, 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 they're it. And so we've got the Dietitians Association Australia, which is, let's say, a, you know, a partially owned arm of uh, the food industry. Mm. They're the ones that have been writing the dietary guidelines for at least the last 20 years and acknowledging their corporate partnership. 
they are those dietary guidelines of Australia are then form the basis of what we feed our children in schools, what we feed mm-hmm. the community in hospitals. Military the guidelines for the College of General Practitioners. You're quite right. The military car. It, it's it's what is the policy for obesity management. Yeah. Uh, diabetes management. The Heart Foundation. The Cancer Council. All of these associations which we've been calling out say, oh, we follow the dietary guidelines, oh, we follow the dietary guidelines. So if we can actually show, and we, we have shown already, it's now just got to be accepted at a bureaucratic level, that the dietary guidelines have been manipulated by the food industry and the food industry has known about the harms of sugar and they've you know, lined their own pockets with this over a long period of time, this pretty well means that the dietary guidelines of Australia need to be thrown out today Yep. We don't need to wait for another review. The whole thing needs to be restarted, needs independence. And if it's a, if, if we can show that here in Australia, we can lead the way because guess what? It'll be exactly the same situation in the US, the UK, the Western world, that the dietary yep. guidelines have been – and that was our work that we, you know, we presented last year about who's been writing the you know, dietary guidelines in the, in the US and the American Dietetics Association. Guess what? It was the Adventist Church and the cereal industry and the food industry. They've been manipulating the dietary guidelines for 100 years. It's a fundamentalist dogma. I mean, the whole idea about obesity being a moral crisis for the individual, you know, it, it comes down to, you know, you need to eat less and move more fatty, get off the couch. And, you know, this is all, uh, it's all part of a religious dogma that that is not actually true <laughs> you know mm. it's not surprising that there is a very dogmatic uh, uh, viewpoint behind it but when they when challenged they can't support it i mean the the diabetes uh incidence and prevalence is just going out of you know uh gang, going gangbusters in australia in the u.s in most of the english-speaking world uh most of the w- modern world so um and 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 nina teicholz has shown that uh, we are for the most part following the guidelines down a hole. And it's very important, I think, to support if you're if you're concerned about this changing in the US, which then, you know, the world follows, support the Nutrition Coalition. And that's nutritioncoalition.us. Nina and her friends are actively trying to change the dietary guidelines in America from which all these other uh, countries are influenced. Well, we're working with Nina we, every time we catch up with her we so we'll sit down and have a cuppa and it finishes about seven or eight hours later. Yeah. <laughs> because, again, what we've been working on, and Belinda in particular, and I don't think we should, I think she really needs acknowledgement for this. She's helping people out around the world on this. It's all in the history. Yeah. Because if you understand the origins of it, you can then understand why it's been defended for so long. I, I, I call it generational education. You believe mm. what your teachers told you because their teachers told them. Mm. So mm. for 100 years, the information has been manipulated by the food industry. It goes back to you know, 1917. Uh, we've got some of those early 1920s textbooks that were written by uh, the American Dietetics Association and and. Uh, and members of uh, of the Adventist Church, yeah. they have formed the, the the paradigm that we're facing around the world. So we're talking about having to overcome a hundred years of misinformation, but more importantly, that, that's subsequently been sponsored by the, the food industry. 
and our agricultural sector. You know, we've got mm. wheat belts, we've got soy belts, we've got you know, canola, with, um, which has all turned out to be an environmental disaster. Sure. Mm. And it turns out that uh, raising ruminants on grass is really good for the environment and sustainable. Who knew? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll come back into that talk I gave at CrossFit last year, you know, which is called The Central Role of Nutrition in Everything. Uh, you know, where it sits in our health, our education, our, our environment, our economics, our politics, and, and our ideology. Um, and it, I try and, you know, dismantle all of those myths in, in, in just under an hour. Uh, it, you know, if people are really looking after, you know, looking for that information about you know, what the hell is he on about in, in one message, um, it, it's probably, uh, it's a really important one. Uh, for getting an understanding about how much it's not just about what we eat. Mm. Uh, I often say that you know the wealth of society is determined by the health of the people, yeah. and the health of the people is determined by the health of the soil and the environment. And if we don't get all of those layers sorted out, then we are in deep strife. And guess what? You know, you've just got to walk down the street. We, we're in trouble. Yeah, mm. yeah. Today here in Australia. And we'll think somewhat related to the amount of pressure that's been put on by uh, the submission to the Senate inquiry, mm -hmm. yeah. by very uh, public uh, reversal of decisions against me, the apology, and also with internal pressure within the Dietitians Association of Australia. Uh, they've got a new CEO, the one that was writing letters about me, she's gone now. But they announced today... Uh, first time in the world that the Dietitians Association of Australia is cancelling all of their commercial relationships with the food industry. Wow. Yes. That just Excellent. happened today. Mm -hmm. That happened today. Um, we had a, a whoop of joy. I actually, uh, I, Belinda put it on Facebook, I was at work today, and I actually heard about it because a patient brought in a bottle of champagne for me. I'm going, what yeah. is this about? She said, I oh, <laughs> Linda was trying to ring me, saying you wouldn't, you know, and I, I was doing my day job because I have to, and um, a patient literally brought in a, a bottle of champagne. Said, "This is for you guys." Um, so we we honestly think that, that, that there's a, so much happening right now. Here we've, and you know, over the last year we've been able to identify the origins of the food guidelines of the world. We've been able to identify and call out the vested interests. Hmm. Um, four weeks ago, the Adventist Church owned up in that document to state that, yes, that is right, we've been manipulating the guidelines, we, um, we have our vested interests, um, we've been working at this right through to World Health Organisation, that's what we've been identifying. We've now been able to show, and again, this has all happened the last few weeks. You know, this, I thought this may never, this may never happen, let alone take years. It's mm. happened in, <laughs> got the food industry identified as targeting people, myself included. We've got them showing how they've done that, which is the Dietitians Association of Australia. We've seen their conduits, which is the people they're working with in the media. Mm. That's all been reported to national bodies. Been called out now publicly, spreading the word via social media, and my getting off has been obviously you know, a, a public endorsement by the medical board that low carb 
has a role to play. And they actually made a comment in there that I can go forward with that message. That's so, so great. And a rebuke to the Dietitians Association as well, really. And and the Dietitians Association today, I mean, good move. They have to separate themselves from industry because if they don't, they're going to implode. Yeah. And they need to re-educate themselves. What that means is the dietary guidelines of Australia are way open now for discussion, and that should be mirrored right through the Western world. Should be. We know that the food industry has been manipulating stuff. You know, that's just common knowledge. Mm. The trouble is we've got the proof. We have the smoking gun. Well, it's in their interest. I mean, the food industry is a commercial organisation, so you've got to expect them to be uh, lobbying for their own benefit. But the Dietitians Association of Australia is a peak body responsible for diet... Uh, in Australia, and they have—they basically had two faces. One face was the peak body, and the other face was a lobby arm for the food industry. And they needed—you know—they really needed to to come to this denouement that they came to today and decide which they wanted to be. Do you want to be a lobby arm for the food industry, or do you want to be responsible for helping Australia set its diet dietetic uh, uh, standards? And maybe they've chosen the latter. Hopefully, well, there's six thousand members would be hoping for integrity yeah, because they've certainly been losing integrity with the advice they've been giving for the last 20 years. <laughs> and th- th- they've got one salvage point, and it might have been starting today. I- I'm-, I'm a great believer that maybe we next need to burn the house down and have a phoenix rise <laughs> from the ashes. <laughs> yeah. Well, as long as Jennifer Elliott is uh, out of jail, I'm behind them. And as long as they keep her in jail, they don't have me on their side. Well, absolutely. And I think we need to, you know, all of us need to, you know, bring Jen's situation because literally she uh, was ostracised and uh, deregistered by that body for recommending a very safe option of lowering carbohydrate for mm. diabetes. Mm-hmm. She had Richard Feynman supporting her. <laughs> I mean, yeah, seriously. Um, and and I, I, you know, I've, I've been privy to those, co- you know, some of that correspondence and the whole process. Mm. Obviously, I was trying to keep my own head above water in the same time frame. Again, this is all happening at the same time as yeah. what's happening to myself, mm. happening to Tim Oaks. <laughs> and, you know, we, we've, we've got pictures of these senior dietitians in Australia and South Africa, you know, having chummy, you know, hugs together. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, look, it's, it's time to call them out. We've been calling them out, but here, you know, DAA, government, Politics, you know, politicians. Here's the evidence. What are you going to do with it? Yeah, indeed. Well, at least they've got new new people at the top. They've got a new CEO. Uh, they've got a new opportunity to uh, to to set policy and and to 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 break from the food industry. And and uh, well, we'll see how they go. So these ties to the food industry end on December 31st. So it looks like literally 2019 is going to be a a a new new year a new page Mm -hmm. in the in the in australia anyway and hopefully um all of these other all of the other western countries and you know countries everywhere will follow suit the companies that i named we're talking about nestle uh cws uh kellogg's sanitarium Mm. they all have corporate offices in the UK, the US, South Africa, New Zealand. Right. Yeah. If they're doing it here in Australia, 
one would have doing to presume, it there too. and I'm careful with my words, that the same practice is occurring internationally. Yeah. So Anywhere where there's a food industry, you know. I don't have proof of that. I encourage everyone around the world to go searching because you know, it's been found out here. They're not embarrassed about this stuff. It's a public minutes. You know, it's the, the hubris. <laughs> Seriously. All right, guys, we really got to find the, uh, get all the links to these, you know, these smoking guns and put them in the show notes <laughs> for our readers so they can <laughs> dive down the rabbit hole if they want to. Oh, Belinda's been doing so much work on this on the isupportgary.com page. So great. <clears throat> And um, uh, she's on Facebook, uh, Belinda Fetke, you know, Fructose, I'm on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I haven't really been that silent for the last few years. <laughs> yeah. And um, it, it, this, is, uh, this has been life-changing for us, for our own health, but it's been for our family, uh, it's for the wider community, mm. and the amount of support that we've had uh, by uh, you know, your podcast, I'm just going to thank everyone who's actually ever just given us a half, you know, any support whatsoever. Uh, it's all actually meant an enormous amount, and, and Blinda and I uh, are going to be eternally appreciative for that worldwide support that we've uh, that we've had. Well, I think we can speak for all our listeners when we say thank you for sticking your neck out there. I mean, you know, it was your cause that uh, made this change come about, and you and Belinda. Your hard work made it happen. So, thank you, Gary. Yeah, Gary knows that his uh, his advocacy uh, set me on my course, which set Carl on his course, which set this podcast on its course. And so, That's right. uh, without Gary yeah, Fedke and Tim Notes and a few others, we would have not been here. Yeah, don't, don't blame me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's all your fault. Your fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gary, before we let you go, what was the last great meal you ate? I had some lamb chops tonight. All right. Nice. <laughs> Good old Aussie lamb. What was the sauce on the lamb chops? Oh, salt and pepper. Okay. <sighs> nice. Good enough. That's all you need when your lamb is so good. I had some lamb chops the other night, too. I, I just love lamb. Well, you had some lamb when you were in Australia as well. Mm-hmm. I think I've got 23 um, baby lambs in the paddock here at the moment. Nice. Oh, wow. Well, it's springtime, of course, yes. Yeah. Uh, haven't given them names, which is always a good start. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, don't give them names if you're going to eat them. That's the rule. Monday, Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday, Thursday. Give them numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, th- uh, thanks for catching us up, and congratulations to you, Belinda, and everybody that has been involved in this struggle. It's uh, it's great news. We, we, I think we just want a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> take some time off and take a bit of a victory lap. Absolutely. Go see the world. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I've actually, I mean, to be fair, I've got a couple of other little hot irons in the poker, which I haven't told you guys about yet today, but I've got a meeting with the National Health Ombudsman next week. Okay. Nice. Which I'll be raising all of that stuff, plus a whole lot of other material. Catch us up again when those irons strike. Yeah. And thanks, Gary, for doing this. It's been awesome. Yeah. Um, look, thanks again for your support. This is massive. Let's, let's run with it, okay? Yeah, will do. Absolutely. We'll see you next time. Don't call me Sir Carl. I'm not that much older. <laughs> I was talking to Richard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, Gary. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Heard you say you're due for a little. Wow. Gary continues to be an inspiration to us all. Very, very, yes, absolutely. very great. Good mm-hmm. news today. Mm-hmm. Well, are you uh, peckish? I'm a little bit peckish. <laughs> all right. I think it's time for some... 
recipes. I liked how they made me say gingivitis. I like I'm down on this. Carl, 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 say gingivitis. <laughs> so what's your recipe today, Carl? Well, as I said before in the show, uh, I'm going to show you how to make a zero-carb IPA. The trademark mm. of a good IPA is hops flavor. So and what does IPA stand for again? It's India Pale Ale. India Pale Ale. And this has become a staple of craft beer makers everywhere. You know, And, it, and the more hops, the more bitter... And the better people like it. I'm personally not a big fan of hoppy beers. Mm -hmm. However, when Ron came to me and, you know, said, I, I need, you know, I, I just can't give up beer. I love it. I love a good IPA. Mm. And of course, you know, it's not really, the alcohol is less of a problem than the carbs in beer. The alcohol pauses ketosis, as we know. And you really have yep. to be very moderate about your drinking when you're on yeah. a ketogenic diet. Otherwise, you're mm -hmm. just sort of getting in the way of your liver processing body fat and dietary yeah. fat. Um, yeah. But, you know, a, a couple of drinks a day is uh, perfectly appropriate. And we find mm -hmm. especially that if you have those drinks apart from when you're eating. So after you eat, give your body a chance to get your metabolism up, give your liver a chance to uh, process some of that fat, then have a drink. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, so hops is a flower. That uh, the the flowers and the and the leaves you can buy and brewers use these to flavor um, IPA and and most beers are made with some hops but an IPA is yeah. like all hops right right <laughs> so what are the three components in beer you need barley you need mm -hmm. malt and you yep. need hops and those are the mm. three ingredients but in an IPA there's less malt and a lot more hops I find that People who drink IPAs don't miss the malt if there's no malt in there. And malt is really what's fattening. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the sugar, really. Yeah, that's right. It's it's a mm -hmm. caramely flavor. And uh, I, I've tried some malt extracts and things, you know, essences. Mm. But yeah. so far, I haven't been able to find any that doesn't taste like birthday cake. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> All right. So here's what you do. For the barley, get yourself... A 750 milliliter bottle of Irish whiskey. Irish okay. whiskey is essentially a barley only whiskey. Mm. And uh, that's going to give you the barley flavor. Now you take like four cups of dried hops leaves and soak them in that whiskey. Now you can get hops leaves on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And I've even made a link hops.2keto.com. Nice. To the the actual hops that I bought a pound one pound bag on Amazon, probably don't want to go through a uh, you know a flight with this in a in an unmarked <laughs> bag because it does no, look a little suspect. Yeah, don't take it to Australia. <laughs> that, however, you know all you got to do is take one whiff and you're like, oh yeah, that's yeah. hops. Oh, it yeah. smells. That's what that is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So take about four cups of this hops and soak the leaves in the whiskey and put it in the fridge for a week. And, you know, you could stir it up a couple of times during that week. But essentially, you are flavoring the whiskey with the hops flavor. And all of that flavor is going to leach out of the hops and into the whiskey. So mm. now here's the, the hard part. You really have to squeeze all of because th the hops is going to soak it up like a sponge. The, you can yeah. take this and turn it upside down. No liquid's going to come out. 
So you have to get a cheesecloth or some other means to squeeze out all the whiskey. You could use your hands if you want, but you're going to get a sticky film on your hands. Then it'll go away if you wash your hands. It'll go away in a few minutes, but... But a cheesecloth is a really good way to do this. And you just tighten it down and squeeze all the whiskey out of it. Now, the volume of that whiskey is going to go down quite a bit, right? Because it evaporates and all of that sure. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So now what you're going to do is take a shot of that and add it to some mineral water. And I use mineral water instead of seltzer because seltzer is kind of sharp. You know, those bubbles are really, mm. they really hit your palate and they explode. Whereas mineral water is a little softer. So yeah. I, I use Pellegrino mineral water, mm-hmm. but you can use whatever whatever mineral water you yeah. want. Now, here's the thing. The flavor is there if you just dissolve mm. this stuff in mineral water, but the body isn't. And the first batch I made, I gave to a bunch of IPA lovers and they say, you know, the flavor's there, but the mouthfeel, like there's no body to it. Right. So I thought, how do you add body? How do you make... A liquid more viscous. Well, gelatin does that. So you basically take a packet of gelatin and dissolve it in water and in warm water. It has to be warm water, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And and before the gelatin sets, you take a couple of teaspoons, maybe just start with a teaspoon and mix it in and taste it. And if that's enough body for you, great. You've got your you got your IPA. If not, add another teaspoon. And then, of course, if you want to add more flavors, you can do that. But I find that, um, and and I gave this a glass of this to Ron, who you know our our guy yeah. who couldn't resist mm. beer, and he was like, "That's an IPA." Yeah, I could drink that <laughs> every day. So, so it's basically a beer flavored scotch and soda. <laughs> yeah, pretty much a beer flavored whiskey with, and with soda. With a Jello shot. <laughs> with a Jello shot. <laughs> with a Jello shot. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Exactly. And, and the benefit <laughs> yeah. of this is that zero carb. You can yeah. make it at home. You don't have to mm-hmm. brew anything, and it yeah. approximates an IPA enough for a beer lover to not go off program. And it's got alcohol in it as well. And it's got so, alcohol. You know, yeah. It meets all the needs. Excellent. Mm. Yep. There you go. So that's mm-hmm. my recipe. Yeah, I've got a recipe now. I found it online. It's on somebody else's website. But uh, here's the thing. At Keto Fest Down Under, I met Jack from uh, Low Carb Emporium. And mm. this is a company that sells low-carb food mail order. And he had a special deal on for people who went to Keto Fest. And I, I, I had a look at his website and I saw he had a hot sauce. It was actually mm. called Picnic Picnic Sauce. And I thought, that sounds interesting. I'll try that out. Now, of course, I've gone low-carb vegetarian, uh, over-lacto-vegetarian. And so this was perfect for me. It was made from from bell peppers or capsicum. It's basically fermented capsicum, and it's blended down into a a sauce. It's like a sriracha without any of the sugar. Right. It is delicious over Mm. eggs. So over scrambled eggs with just a couple of drops of this sauce delicious i have a lot of foods that i add hot sauce to that's really good yeah yeah so so this is a very simple recipe and you don't have to use bell peppers you can use a a, a feistier pepper if you want throw some ghost peppers in there just to, to keep <laughs> people happy but anyway so so this recipe basically you take um three bell peppers any color um and uh i personally i'd use red because uh you know hot sauce really hot sauce is red yeah yeah uh, a clove of garlic a tablespoon of mustard seeds this is an optional step um and uh, two small whole hot peppers such as a cayenne uh, or as i say ghost pepper if you really <laughs> want to go and 
you need some brine. You need a tablespoon of salt dissolved in about two cups of room temperature water. Okay. So you're going to slice the peppers into half-inch slices and uh, remove the pith, seeds, and stem. You're going to throw those away. Now, one easy way to to slice uh, bell peppers or capsicum is you slice the cheeks off. It's basically a, it's like a little box, a capsicum is a little box, and you're just taking all the sides off. Mm-hmm. And what's left in the middle is the bit you throw away, and that's the bit with um, with all the seeds and the pith and everything yeah. in. So what you're going to be doing is you're going to be putting the uh, capsicum and the uh, the garlic and the mustard seeds and the and the hot peppers. You're going to be submerging them underneath the brine because the brine is salt. You know, it's salty. Bacteria that uh, like salt will prosper, and lactobacillus, which is the bacteria that's used in in lots of vegetable ferments, and it's also used in cheese making mm-hmm. uh, and yogurt making, is a a bacteria that is quite tolerant of salt. Most other bacteria, most of the nasty ones that could do you damage, mm. um, really don't like a salty environment. So that's what yeah. you're doing, and you're basically placing the the pepper pieces into the jar into a jar. Now I I use old. Um, uh, coconut oil jars, and uh, they, you know they're they're quite large jars, so you can you can pack in a whole bunch of uh, you know three decent sized pep, bell peppers and and stuff. So you can pack them into the jar very tightly. Nice. Um, you're going to basically fill the jars with brine until the veggies are covered. Then you're going to make a simple airlock, which basically allows gases to escape but not to come in. And and they show this on the website. It's basically a technique when you put one jar inside another. But yeah. um, you can also use a fermenting jar that's designed. It's got like a water trap on top that's designed for to allow uh, gases to exit. And not yeah, in. and that's kind of important, um, right? Like your explosion, the gases need to come out. So <laughs> yeah, try not yeah. to explode your kitchen, people. So if you're using <laughs> so, just a regular jar, you can poke a few holes in the top and put a mesh yeah. over, like a nylon or something, right? Cheesecloth or something Cheese over cloth, it. Or yeah. you can also put like you can put uh, so, uh, like a rubber uh, cap over the top of it, and that'll that'll uh, be pushed up with the air escaping, and then it, right. um, it'll 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 close the lid and and, and stop uh, air getting back in. So anyway, you're going to uh, let them sit at room temperature for about a week. Uh, the brine will go cloudy, and the pickles will be a little bit soft. Mm. Um, and then after a week or so, uh, you can basically uh, put them in the refrigerator. You you can stop the fermentation. And what you can do is you can take the the peppers out, these fermented peppers, they'll be softer and they'll be, uh, it'll be a milder form of the, of the pepper flavour. Take them and blend them and blend them with a little bit of oil and that makes you a sriracha sauce. So nice. anyway, that's my recipe. Mm. That sounds delicious. I'm going to try that. Mm. Most of the hot sauce that's in the store has some sort of sugar in it and I think they do yeah. that to sort of temper the heat, but you mm. definitely don't need it. You temper the heat no. by just using a little bit of it, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm. Well, that's a show, man. Of course, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at tokidodudes.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at dudes. Make sure to use the hashtag dudes. And, of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And you can have a look around the ketogenic forum without needing to create an account by starting with success.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, T-shirts, coffee mugs, and all that other junk with witty keto sayings on them, head over to (laughs) gear.2keto.com. 
And if you want a shot at getting some of that swag for free, join the Two Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.twoketo.com. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, think about making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.twoketo.com. You can also see all of our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.twoketo.com. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. And Richard, keep calm, keto on, and fast when you can. Yeah, keep calm, keto on, Carl, and fast whenever you can. Absolutely. And we'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. Dudes.